why didn't I get taught this? Why didn't I learn this when I was younger? What would happen if other women knew these things or talked about these things? Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. We're licensed marriage and family therapists. And together we run Therapy is Not a Dirty Word, a collection of workshops, retreats, happy hours, and other awesome ways, like this podcast, to bring people and therapists together in real life. With that being said, here's the podcast. So I am thrilled for our guest today. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I think what we do with kind of every time we have a new guest, we'll start with a little bit of intro. Tell everybody kind of the 30-second bio. Who are you and um, why they should be super excited that we're about to talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So um, yeah, I'm Pam Costa and um, I'm a sex and relationship coach. Um, which means that I work with couples around um, physical and emotional intimacy. But prior to this career, I actually worked in tech for a really long time. I worked at Apple, I worked at Facebook, um, until I uh, actually ended up seeing a sex therapist myself in my marriage uh, with my partner. And it was such a transformative experience that uh, I actually ended up completely shifting careers to doing that now myself. Yeah. Pam, how long have you been doing that now? Mm, It's been about three years at this point to actually shifting over full time to this, this new, new land. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if you could get much different between like engineering and sex coaching. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I actually felt it was funny. My very last job in tech what I was doing was I was part of kind of a new team at Facebook called the customer empathy team. Um, and I worked specifically with businesses and I helped them talk to the engineers. And mm-hmm. I found myself kind of being a translator between how engineers, you know, live and see the world and how like someone who's running like a small or a large business would live and see the world. And it's so funny because I feel like now as a couples therapist, I'm kind of doing that same thing, uh, just like translating between two people's experiences so that they can better understand each other. Yeah. All right. That's a good thread there. Yeah. And so I was just thinking, I'm like, that's a great analogy for exactly <laughs> for a lot of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a million questions. <laughs> Erica, where should we start? Yeah. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about, well, I, I mean, I think Esther and I are pretty familiar with your story and kind of how you got into this, but maybe talk a little bit more about how you got into this work and, you know, kind of what keeps you enthusiastic about it, what keeps you sort of, you know, excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, it's funny, because I'm a sex, you know, sex and relationship coach now, which I think sometimes people that see someone with that title think, oh, they must have always known about sex, or, you know, that's been a passion of theirs forever. And like, that was definitely the opposite of true for me. You know, what, what actually I mentioned in the intro, what, what sparked me getting into this career was almost like a personal journey around um, what I defined at the time as low libido, meaning, you know, my, basically my husband wanted sex more than I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's pretty, 
pretty typical. If you have two people in relationships, someone <laughs> wants it more than the other person. Um, and and yes. how that... Can we pause right there really quick and just say how freaking normal that is? Because couples all the time think that they're odd because one of them wants sex more than the other. And that is not true. It is mo- more normal to be like not totally in sync. Sorry, I just wanted to... You are so right. It is so exceedingly normal. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent probably, so I've been married next month will be 20 years. Wow. And we spent probably the first 15 years of our relationship, not knowing that what we were experiencing was normal. <laughs> and specifically, I spent those 15 years almost really thinking that I was broken, right? Like, I didn't know why I didn't want it as much as he did. He felt rejected. I felt guilty. And, and so much of our life was good, but that was a really, a really big sticking point for us. And, um, you know, we, like every six to 12 months, we'd have that really difficult conversation and we'd try something and it would work temporarily, but we'd always keep coming back to this issue. And so we, well, he said, hey, I think you really got to go get this checked out. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, maybe. And so I went to my OB and got, you know, hormone levels checked. Everything was fine there. And she referred me to therapy. And we actually went as a couple. And I just, I found that experience so relieving. Just like what you said, first of all, like in the very first conversation, I felt completely normalized. Like my experience made sense. You know, we all get really crappy messages around sexuality. So the concept that we'd be connected to our bodies, you know, that, that doesn't make sense, right? (laughs) We've been told to keep it in our pants and it's only for procreation and you could get a disease. Like, I don't know, that just doesn't create a setup where, you know, it would make sense that I would be connected to my body or know my body in a way that I would be able to articulate and own my sexuality. And so, yeah, we, we ended up seeing this therapist. I loved it so much that I started talking to girlfriends about it and reading about it and getting schooling (laughs) 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 and eventually started doing it myself. But that's the, I don't know, I'll, I'll pause there because that was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the things, and there's lots of pieces to sort of, I think the story that got you here that hopefully feels really normalizing for a lot of people, because I think you're right. I mean, for a lot of for a lot of people in general, and especially I think for women, there's so many obstacles or potential hurdles to getting comfortable with their own sexuality and being able to just kind of approach these very, very normal like issues, whether it be in a relationship or just in general, thinking about how you feel about sex. Um, but I, the part for me that's always interesting, and I know that you have taken this and kind of developed some other things, is, is the openness of being willing to have those conversations with friends, like as you kind of are exploring it, like not just getting comfortable talking to your husband about it, but getting comfortable just sort of talking to other women about, hey, I'm starting to rethink some things or like this is an issue that I've had. Like I think often couples or, you know, women or friends will joke about mismatched (laughs) sex drives or, you know, what they want or what they don't want. But to have like, some authentic conversation around that, I think is kind of amazing. So I'm curious, like what prompted you to do that? And and what was your experience both personally and then 
we can talk a little bit about circles because I know that that's yeah. it's something that grew out of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the other part of Erica's question was, you know, what keeps you passionate about this work? And I, I think it's exactly what you're talking about, which is as I was going through that process of therapy, um, my mind was kind of blown every session, like um, from the standpoint of why didn't I get taught this? Why didn't I learn this when I was younger? What would happen if other women knew these things or talked about these things? Because, you know, maybe you're that person that actually has talked about things with good friends or, you know, someone in your family. Um, but the reality is most of us have not, or we've done it in a joking way, like you mentioned. And so when I was going through therapy, I think about three sessions in, I, I just had this thought like, oh my gosh, people need to know this. And I, you know, I, I told my husband, I was like, can I talk to my girlfriends about this? Would you be you know, nervous, like, cause I'm going to talk about our sex life. Right. And he was, you know, super, um, super permissive about that. And like, yeah, I think you should do that. Um, and so I called up some girlfriends and talked about sex with them for the first time. And it was so, it's even hard to find the word to express how powerful that was. Um, we got together in a park the first time we met and, um, you know, it's, I've said this before, but it's, it was actually kind of funny looking back on it now because at that time, most of us felt uncomfortable even telling our partners where we were going. You know, my husband knew, but most of the women that I invited, they just like said they were going to yoga. Like they even had yoga clothes on, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they like, they weren't comfortable even saying, Hey, I'm going to talk about it much less, you know, the conversation we had. Um, but it was so relieving, you know, to hear other women's stories. I mean, we talked about <laughs> so many things and, you know, we cried and we laughed and we, you know, supported each other. And, um, that was just the start of me realizing, wow, if more people could talk about sex, you know, whether it's with their girlfriend, which I actually think is a little bit easier than talking to your partner, um, what would happen? You know, uh, could, they, could they then maybe eventually talk to their partners in a more comfortable and confident way? Could they, you know, talk to their kids when their kids have questions about sex in a way that's not like, oh my God, what do I say? <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it's, that was just the start of my discovery of like the power of talking about sex with someone was, was that, you know, park meeting with like a handful of my girlfriends. Yeah. And so then you've sort of built a platform from that, from that concept, right. To allow sort of other women and men, I think there's, you're also doing or planning to do groups for men as well to sort of be able to have those kind of frank conversations about sex. Yeah, um, ab absolutely. It's great to bring the men into the conversation too, or whatever you identify as gender wise, right? Because, you know, I think women tend to get the message like, you know, only, only slutty women like sex, right? Mm -hmm. And men get the, the message of like, don't be a creep. And, and honestly, I don't think either of those are really helpful or, you know, men get the message that they should always be ready for sex and just kind of noticing how much had changed, um, with them in their physical relationships. You know, if they were partnered, some of them were single in their kind of emotional well-being, And, 
um, I was getting my master's at the time in psychology and I went to my, my school and said, Hey, if I wanted to research this phenomenon, would you support it? And they had actually just gotten a grant. So it was perfect timing. And, um, so I did research and I, I created these discussion topics and over 300 women basically met over the course of four weeks. So they met once a week for four weeks. And I measured kind of sexual function, sexual satisfaction, sexual distress before and after those four weeks. So they basically just met four times and um, self-reported sexual function, which is kind of the gold standard of whether things are working in therapy or with medical you know, interventions around sexuality. Sexual function went up 20% and distress about sex went down 30%, which is really cool because it's great for me to know this personally and with my girlfriends, but it's a whole other thing to have like, you know, research that I can go to medical conferences and mental health conferences and say, hey, this, this is really worth our time. It's so scalable. It's, you know, it's free. I, I have stuff on my website basically where women can go and, and download a PDF with discussion prompts. Um, men can do this too, um, with discussion prompts for how to have these conversations in their own living room with their own girlfriends. And then like you were mentioning, I, I also offer online circles for women who are maybe, maybe they don't have a private space to have the conversation, or maybe they're too nervous to talk to their friends, but they would like to talk to other women. <laughs> um, so I have, I have both of those um, offerings available. That's so awesome that you're doing that. I mean, I think that it's so important to, you know, make people feel more comfortable and feel more sort of like they can take the mystery out of it, right? Like they can in, enjoy a conversation about their bodies and about sexuality and that it doesn't have to be scary or shameful. And so, yeah, I just think that work is just amazing. I do too. That's so cool. You guys like I, so I've been doing that since January, these online ones. And I know, I knew how it worked in person, but I wasn't sure if it would translate online. And um, I'm using this platform where I can introduce a topic, share myself, like how that topic has impacted me. And then I break them into small groups. So it's like three or four women um, just, you know, on the screen together. And when I click the button for them to all come back at the end of the session, like I can just see on their faces how powerful that conversation was for them. You know, we go around at the end and everyone shares if they want to, you know, what it was like for them. And, you know, to see, you know, someone's face light up and say something like, you know, wow, masturbation's totally normal. Why do I feel bad about it? Or why have I never shared it with my partner? Or, you know, just talking about, you know, body image and and fantasies and all this stuff that we're like not supposed to talk about. <laughs> I think what gets me so excited, I mean, other than obviously your excitement about it, is I think the therapist in me also loves the reinforcement of just how powerful it is to just be given permission to talk about things that maybe seem difficult or maybe seemed off limits. And how just the conversation in a really supportive way and with a little bit of guidance, like can really be transformational. And I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of that, of like having just a supportive relationship around that says like, well, let's just talk about it. I mean, certainly some things might come up that need further support or professional intervention or whatever it is, but just being able to talk about it makes this huge difference in people's lives. 
in such a really simple way. Like this is something everybody can be doing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think about it, you know, there's so many ways that we can learn about ourselves. We can grow, you know, we can read books, we can watch videos or Ted talks. We can see a therapist one-on-one or as a couple or as a family, Um, we can talk with, you know, we can form a community, like intentionally form community around these different things that we're interested in or parts of our lives. And, you know, I'm always joking with clients. I'm like, please don't let me just be the only person on your great sex team. Um, Let's make sure we have all of these different parts, you know, working together for you because at different points in time and in different ways, each of these things can really um, be beneficial. So I'd actually, I'd love to do research on what happens when some of these things are combined and see, you know, what, what happens then. I love that. I also love the idea that you have a great sex team. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So who's on your great sex team? Because, you know, on, on a lot of levels like that, it's something so many people want to have and don't know how to ask for. Right. Yeah, we've got like our great nutritional team, we've got our yoga team, we've got our financial team, but yeah, sex, like, oh, who needs, who needs help there? (laughs) You know, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because it's such a taboo topic, I think people really don't know that there is help available. I mean, I certainly didn't know there was such thing as a sex therapist, you know, 10 years ago. I just like, I didn't know that that was like a profession. Um, In fact, like when my, you know, when we were initially going down that path, my husband and I, to find a sex therapist, I was like, so what does a sex therapist do? You know, I definitely had visions in my head of like, am I having sex in their office? Like, (laughs) the answer is no, by the way, you don't do that. (laughs) You know what? I actually think that's a really great question for us to answer because people do, I mean, Pam and I are friends. Like, so I, I tell other people about the work that you do. And I think that is a legitimate question. People ask it all the time. Like, well, what does that mean? Right. What does happen? What happens in your office? How do they help me? You know, what's the process like? Right. Yeah. I, it was funny because, you know, that was the first question I had, you know, my husband found this sex therapist online and I emailed her. I was like, so can you just be really clear? And it's funny. She was really vague in return. Actually. I love her to death that she wrote back like, well, we won't do anything you're uncomfortable with. <laughs> I was like, huh. um, yeah. So I mean, what it looks like for me with clients, and there's this great researcher in Canada, um, her her name is Peggy Kleinplatz, and she's done this amazing research on what is required for great sex. And she's interviewed people like in their 80s and 90s who like report that, hey, we're we're having great sex, like at that age, right? Mm -hmm. And what's cool about her research is she found that it's it's not about function, right? Someone getting hard, someone getting rut, there's penetration, there's an orgasm. It's, it's actually not about that. Um, what she found it's about is a whole bunch of things, but I'll, I'll talk about two primary things because that's a lot of what I work on in, in my office is one, can you connect with yourself? You know, this means something as little as, are you conscious of the thoughts going through your head? Do you have control over them, right? Are you, can you feel sensation in your body, right? Can you right now feel your right toe? (laughs) Much less could you feel your vulva or your vagina? 
um, you know, can you receive pleasure? So, well, sorry. So that that's first of all is the like, can I? Am I in touch with myself emotionally, cognitively, um, somatically in my body? So I do all sorts of fun little exercises with clients to improve their ability to connect with themselves. Sometimes it looks like meditation. Sometimes it looks like I've got like seashells and rocks and all these like crazy things in my office where we're like touch things and talk about like, what, what is it like to feel? Sometimes I'll have like a strawberry and be like, what is it like to taste? Can you really, you know, how does that work? And then talking about how you work erotically, right? So there's like sensation, but how do you work erotically? What turns you on? And we'll do all sorts of, I usually like scroll out a piece of paper. I'm like, okay, let's talk fantasies. Like <laughs> what do you think about when you're turned on? Or do you think about something? And, you know, we'll, we'll go through like the psychological aspect as well as the physical aspect of turn on. So I kind of consider it like running little experiments to help you get to know yourself better. And then the second part of her research, which is also, I like her research because it really aligned well with how I work with clients. The second part is how do you share how you are feeling with your partner in a way that's likely to create a positive feedback loop between the two of you versus a negative feedback loop? Um, This might be something as simple as just having clients sit across from each other and like check each other out. You know, are they able to stay in their body and have the experience they're having while connecting with their partner and sharing that feeling? Does their partner, can their partner receive that or does something get in the way and then the cycle goes into a negative loop? (laughs) You know, sometimes I I have um, lotion in my office. Sometimes we'll do hand rubs and talk about like, are we able to accept touch? Are we able to offer touch? How do we think about touch? Is it for the other person? Is it for us? Yeah, that was a really long answer. And it's probably like literally 5% of the, (laughs) I run experiments to help people get to know themselves and each other. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I I think it's actually a really helpful explanation so that people have some sense of what that means, right? Like you gave some really good visuals of that there are ways to begin to connect to that. And I think what you're talking about in terms of like being able to be in your body and, and the presence that's involved and that you can do that in a, in a variety of ways that don't involve being naked in somebody's office, which I think people do think happens. (laughs) I'll be doing something really simple, like, you know, touch this seashell. And, and suddenly Mm -hmm. the client will exclaim like, oh my God, this is exactly what happens in the bedroom. (laughs) And I'll be like, I know, like I told you that. (laughs) Um, And of course there's so much sex education because let's be honest, our fifth grade sex education really failed us. So there's oftentimes just like talking about anatomy and helping people know really what's going on and get a chance to ask all those questions they never ask. Yeah, like that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm really glad you brought up the idea sort of co- of connecting with yourself and then sharing that, like sharing that with your partner, figuring out how to, how to connect with your partner. I was actually looking at your blog and there was a line in there where you said something like transitioning to actually being present in the act of sex. And I just think that that piece is so important and not really talked about a lot. I mean, Pam, I'm sure you talk about it a lot. <laughs> we sort of talk about it as couples therapists, but I don't think it's talked a lot about in the larger culture in terms of being present in sex, like actually sort of being alive in the moment 
And I, I just wanted to kind of hear you as opposed to dead, right? I wanted to kind of hear more of your <laughs> thoughts on that. Yeah, so, so nice to be alive instead of a walking zombie in the world. Uh, yeah. Especially in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Very, very helpful. That's well, I, actually, I mean, it kind of touches on this whole idea of like, you know, there's that whole stereotype of women of being like cold as fish or whatever. And it's like, that's a person who's not present in the act. Like that's why it's, it seems like they're dead or it seems like the person is, is checked out because they're not, they're not fully there. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because there's so much there, right? First of all, are we even alive in life? You know, are we just running around getting things done, taking care of others? Are we actually filling our own cup and are we enjoying you know, this sip of coffee that we have every day. Um, So, you know, starting with clients, talking with them about, you know, are you present to life? Um, A lot of times, you know, it's just so crazy, the the overall general satisfaction with life that comes from working, you know, in the arena of sexuality. And there's something else you just said there. I'm trying to see if it's going to come back into my mind. Oh, you know what it was? What's interesting about that you know, someone lying there really still in, in the bedroom. Um, sometimes it is that they're not present. And, um, you know, we'll find like, wow, as I get more and more present, I get more, you know, there's so much more motion or more sound or whatever um, expression. And the other thing is sometimes that's a clue to how that person works sexually. And what they're doing is they're not checking out, but they're checking in. Mm-hmm. And they get really still because they are focused on internal sensation. Um, but if their partner doesn't know that, or they don't even consciously know that, they might feel very ashamed, or their partner might be like, where did you go? So I think it's always so interesting to me, these, you know, these, these, things that we've got out in the world about how we think about women and sex and how sometimes, yes, it's a sign of, Hey, you're not quite there. And other times it's like, Oh, that's a really good data point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really important point. It doesn't always look our faces or our sort of like physical, you know, sort of presentation doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening inwardly, right? Like it yeah. doesn't necessarily reflect our internal experience. Yep. And however, however we are showing up, it would just be great if our partner and I like both knew <laughs> like what was going on. It wasn't like a surprise or like we weren't sure because then, you know, you kind of feel alone, rightfully so, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's so easy for them that alone feeling to turn into, you know, shame and, and sort of discomfort for one or both partners because, because you it's an experience that where you're sort of anticipating feeling even more connected rather than separated from each other and exactly. how important that, that knowledge is. Like it really is about learning about who you are and then, and then being able to share that with a partner in a way that they can understand too. So that you guys can then, you know, figure out all the moving parts. Exactly. I mean, it, it would be great. Yeah. It would be great if we like, you know, me, my partner had the exact same kind of sexual style or turn-ons or complementary ones that worked well together. And sometimes that happens, but we're also rich, complex people and beings. And so oftentimes there's at least an aspect of us and an aspect of them that don't necessarily play well together. And so you know, part of the work in sex therapy is figuring out how to have that actually bring you together or still be a fulfilling experience as opposed to driving you apart. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So I don't know about Esther, but I definitely wanted to talk about poly and open relationships. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I'm on board. (laughs) I was like, I'm sure there'll be like a natural segue, but I think this is it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I thought there might be two, and then I was like, nope, I'm just going to say it now because I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's something. It's another area where I think there's sort of vague assumptions about what this means and very little actual education and and data for people who might be curious, whether they're just curious in general or they're curious because they're thinking about what they, what relationship sort of fits for them or making adjustments. And I think so infrequently do we get really honest communication around that. And absolutely. Yeah. Just like sex, right. It's like, you know, we don't talk about sex. And so we're all just kind of following a script that we think is what we're supposed to do. And with relationship structure, I feel like the same thing happens, right. We're, we're fed, um, you know, this cultural default, which is to get married to one person (laughs) and, (laughs) and be with them. And that is what creates safety and and love and all these things. And what I love about the conversation about open relationships or non-monogamy is just the idea that even if we choose marriage and monogamy, it at least allows us to consciously choose it (laughs) instead of choosing it by default, (laughs) um, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic topic for that reason. And and I suspect you guys are asking also because I I write about it. I'm now, this was definitely a very later part of the journey with my husband, but um, we're, we're in an open relationship and have been for a few years now. Yeah. So can you first talk about the difference between poly and open or how those terms are used and like what's, what's, what's the actual definition of those terms? Because I don't sure. think, I think most of the time we use them interchangeably, but they're not, in my understanding, they're not exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because this is, you know, still fairly newly, more publicly talked about. And um, I think it's like with any sort of identifying term, the way that different people use it or identify with it, it can be different. But I think generally speaking, um, you know, polyamorous means, you know, more than one love. And the idea there is that you know, I can, I can love this person, but I can also love this person. You know, it's kind of like, you're probably poly with your kids. You know, I, I hope you love all your kids and no matter how many you have. Um, <laughs> and so this, this polyamory concept, right, applies to uh, maybe I have, um, you know, maybe it's just emotional, but oftentimes there's also a physical component to the relationship. You know, people who define themselves as polyamorous, not always, but um, can tend to have more intertwining of lives. Sometimes they even live together, kind of blending, you know, multiple relationships into a single household. People who define themselves as open, um, in, in my experience, have tend to say, hey, I want to, you know, choose my own adventure with respect to my relationship. So it's not going to be this traditional, I'm either married or partnered with one person, but I want to have more freedom and flexibility around um, the types and numbers of emotional and physical relationships that I have. But I may not be so intertwined as if I define myself as polyamorous. Gotcha. So Polly, there's there's more of a, a move towards like 
those relationships having the potential to kind of combine or intertwine, although not necessarily. And then open is more sort of like you're, you're flexible in, in how you sort of go about your relationships, but they're not necessarily, they're less likely to be sort of connected to each other is my take on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like deeply embedded in your life. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, what I tend to see is people in the polyamorous space tend to spend a lot more time with their other partners in the open space. Maybe I only see this partner every six weeks or every week. Um, but not like on a daily regular basis. And again, these are generalizations and it's all, it's all a spectrum and some people identify as both or neither. Um, but yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. I have like the most, what feels potentially inappropriate <laughs> analogy. <laughs> now I think I, you should really share it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to share it now. Well, because when you said, right, like, you know, hopefully you're poly with your children. And so I started thinking about it in the context of like kids in your life as somebody who has more than one child that's mine that I raised. So yeah, like I, I love them and like the connection with each of them is similar and deeply embedded. And then I have like nieces and nephews and like my best friend has adorable children and I take them to the zoo and I, you know, and I like to be able to spend time with and do things, you know, appropriate things with children. But I love it. It's, it is true, right? It's like, they're not as deeply embedded in right. your life and you still super enjoy the time you spend with them. Yeah. And it's, it's fun and there's caring to varying degrees and yeah. that kind of thing. And I was trying to come up with, and I was like, oh, this is, this feels like if I continue down this road, it yeah. gets, gets gray and weird, but <laughs> hopefully people keep. Yeah. But it's something, we can, it's something we can all relate to, right? Yeah. Like that, that makes sense. So I always have the same sort of question about in terms of people who are in like a committed relationship, like married, but then open or married and then poly, like they're in a committed relationship of some sort and then have other relationships that they have various investment in. I'm boring because I always have the same question about that, which is that I guess I'm just lazy because that just seems exhausting. (laughs) Like, I'm not morally against it in any way. I'm just like, it just makes me so tired. Like, (laughs) the one husband whom I love deeply, and we have, I think, a great relationship. Like, that's enough. I don't don't need more. Yeah, it it is. There's definitely talk within the open and poly community about this exact topic. And, you know, my my own approach to it is I kind of don't want to do anything in life that doesn't bring me energy and joy. And so there's sometimes, you know, where I find my dating life doing that. And I love it. And there's other times where, you know, what would bring me more energy and joy today or this moment or this week or this month is, you know, spending more time with my kid or spending more time with a girlfriend or spending more time with my husband. And so, or or work, you know, I have this great project that I'm really focused on and that's where I'm deriving most of my joy. So for me, I do find it tends to flex and, you know, it's so funny because we have this idea that, okay, well, how I get energy is I rest, I get more sleep, I nap. Mm -hmm. And that's true. But I could also get energy from spending time in nature or eating or going out with a friend. And, you know, so this, this, like this scarce resource of feeling (laughs) like you've got enough energy. I don't know. I totally agree. Scheduling can be a nightmare. 
and you have to decide what you can fit in your life. And yeah, I think the people that go into the space find it really additive mm-hmm. and energizing. And I, I, sometimes I think about it like, this is definitely my current form of therapy. <laughs> it's a way I get to learn really well about things, you know, how I feel and, and uh, where I can grow. <laughs> Well, and I, I like what you said about sort of paying attention to, well, where do I get my energy from? And like, and it changes day to day or, you know, from a period of life to another period of life. But in terms of, I was trying to think about, you know, I, I, I know some people both professionally and personally who have been thinking about um, either, you know, poly or being in an open relationship or thinking about sort of changing whatever their current relationship structure is. And it feels like that would be a really important question to ask in terms of thinking about it, right? Like, does this time with people and what exactly about it is sort of energizing for me? How do I engage with my current partner, with potential other partners, so that it is it feels nourishing rather than something that you have to do in some ways? Yeah. My husband and I will challenge each other on that, right? If we're ever you know, kind of talking about that way about our dating life, like, Hey, like, you know, you know, let's, let's reevaluate like what's going on there. If this is not something that's bringing a lot of joy to you, um, you know, we kind of help each other, you know, course correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's like the, what's her name? Marie Kondo of your, right. Well, this is bringing me joy. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't we do that even in our normal married monogamous relationships? Like I love the way that, yeah, just even having this conversation does help me look at, well, how do I think about owning my own happiness, getting, you know, we, we all outsource. Some of us do it through being in open relationships, but the rest of us, you know, if our partner doesn't like romantic comedies, but we really like them and they bring us great joy, like we will find a friend to go with us to see the romantic comedy, right? right. <laughs> this just kind of extends it a little bit further. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very, it, that's very, very true. Yeah. I guess that actually kind of brings up a question for me about what does that, I guess I'm just sort of curious about what does that, how does that feel different from like, how does having an open relationship feel different than having a friend that you can go to the movies with who your husband would never want to see that movie? I mean, obviously it sounds like sex is part of that. (laughs) Sex can typically be a part of that, but I'm just curious about like, the feeling of that and like the experience of that difference. Yeah, it is so interesting because we have, you know, these societal rules around, you know, what we share or divulge with different people, maybe emotionally, what we share or experience with each other physically. And we all have different rules around it, right? Like some of us have rules, we can't even touch our partners in public, right? Mm-hmm. And other of us have rules that we can, you know, sit right on the lap of a best friend in public, <laughs> you know, and, and, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm only three years, you know, into this, but I am surprised at how much my worldview has shifted to allowing for whatever is showing up in a relationship to just enjoy that, right? Maybe it is just, you know, going to the movies or maybe like, wow, it's so sweet to be able to 
hold hands with this person. I'm so much more touchy feely with just my, you know, even my platonic friends, right? Because I, I realize like how many boundaries I hold and how much meaning we put in different things. So yeah, I, that was, I don't know if I really answered your question there. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, no, I think you did. Like that there is that, you know, a lot of these sort of boundaries are arbitrary seems like too strong a word, but there, some of them are arbitrary and some of them, like we need to think about why, why do we have these rules and what do these rules yeah. do for us? And exactly. when, are they, when are they not helpful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think boundaries and and culturally agreed upon things are very useful. (laughs) You know, we live in a society and that's helpful. And I think, you know, when it comes to your own personal, emotional and physical, you know, desires, wants, needs, whatever you want to call it, um, it is really cool to be like, hmm, like, so society says this, but what do I really think? Mm -hmm. What does my partner really think? What if we didn't go by that rule, but went by this rule and said, what would that be like? You know, kind of getting back to this like running experiments concept, right? Is I don't, I don't know what it would be like because I've never experienced that before. So maybe we could check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think it's, I think regardless of, you know, relationship structure, it's, I mean, it's certainly one of the things that I talk to couples about. And even with my single clients, when we're talking about, dating and and evaluating potential partners and what they're looking for is like really asking that question, like, where did this, where did this particular rule or criteria come from? Mm -hmm. And if it didn't come from you, then is it one that you want to keep? Like that we're free to actually define our relationships and define what we want out of our romantic partnering Mm -hmm. for ourselves, like, and and with another person to decide like, oh, this works for us, even if it doesn't work for others. I so agree. And what I find is that, you know, so if you imagine, you know, you, you married this person, for instance, and you, you know, one of you knows how to cook Italian, the other one knows how to cook all American and, and you spend the rest of your life getting exposed to these dishes. Now, what if you decided like, oh, you know, we could also like go out and learn new cuisines and see what we bring back into the relationship. You can do that just on a friend's basis. You do not have to open your relationship to do that. But I have been so grateful for the ways in which, you know, my husband's relationships have brought in his world perspective and some of those things he's brought back into our relationship. And some of them I'm like, huh, I'm not a fan of that perspective. You can keep that one out there, (laughs) you know, like enjoy it out there. No problems with that. But like, you know, that's not a dish I like, you know, it's very expanding to have that opportunity to expand your horizons and get exposed to new and different people. I'm actually, you know, this is not always true of people in, in open or poly relationships, but a lot of the time it is true where the people, so like, you know, I would become friends with my husband's girlfriends, for instance, because, you know, if he likes them, like, I actually take that as a vote of confidence for the type of person that they are. And it would be nice for me to have a relationship with them. So I just, it's, it's very interesting to, you know, I think for someone who's not in that world, that would seem like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. As you're talking about like, oh, it's the broadening of the worldview, right? Like you, you're both exposed to other things and you, you get to 
sort of bring things in and then decide what works for you. I'm curious if there are other, if you feel like there have been other real benefits to the relationship between you and your husband as a result of, and actually I'm going to ask this in a very broad way since we're, (laughs) since we've talked about a lot of things, both in terms of outside of like sex, outside of the bedroom, in terms of your work with your sex therapist and like, and your continued work now professionally and also in opening the marriage. Like, I think sometimes those are things that people see as being very limited potential benefits. And so I'm sort of curious, like, if there have been other ways in which you feel like that's been enriching, or even like with your own clients, where you see it enriching their relationships in ways that maybe seem unexpected. Absolutely. You know, kind of tying together what I was just talking about, and with this question you're asking now, is like, one of the benefits I've found both in sex therapy, which was like learning to get in touch with my body, figure out what I want, figure out how to communicate that to my partner. So he gets to give me the gift. You know, it's nice to be able to give gifts to someone and I get to enjoy the benefits of that. I would say that's happened in opening up our relationship too. Like I've always been so impressed in watching him date in watching how the women interact with him. And they're really good at asking for what they want. Hmm. And I, I know that seems so basic, but for me, (laughs) in my own wounding as a child, um, you know, I'm so self-sufficient, self-reliant, like I take care of everybody else, but you know, I could never even, you know, ask for what I need, much less even know what I need. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, that happening has allowed me to feel more empowered myself to ask for things that I want. And also, you know, when you date a bunch of women, you get really good at, you know, working with and talking with and holding space for women. And so that has translated back into our relationship. I never have a better husband. (laughs) Thanks to all these other women. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's like totally outside the bedroom, but it's, it's really helpful in life to be able to do those things. And I really appreciate therapy and open relationship for, you know, helping me with that. Right. It sounds like that sort of like expansion of of the way things are, the way things could be kind of opening up that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is one of those topics where people always go, but what about the children? (laughs) 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 I'm curious about if you've had conversations with your own children about this or like in work with clients professionally, like how you sort of recommend that people talk to their kids about this or, or what do you sort of think about that? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, even the talking to kids about sex, of course it needs to be age relevant and oftentimes it's best if led by the child. And so, you know, I think for some couples that are in this space, um, it really doesn't impact the lives of their children. It's quite separate. It's just like going out with a friend. And so I, there's definitely people in this space who just, you know, it's, it's always a private part of their life, just like sex is a private part of their life that, you know, isn't something they really discuss the details of with their kids. Other people, obviously, if you're more on the poly, integrate your lives into the spectrum, you know, the kids are obviously very involved. And what the research says there is it's good for kids. They get to kind of like what I was talking about with the different types of dishes. They actually have 
more people from which to learn from. And it actually is research shows it's beneficial for kids. Um, we happen to be somewhere in between. We don't, you know, our kid doesn't need to know a lot about this. We're, we're out separately of him. And, you know, he's of the age where he's not an idiot. Um, kids usually aren't. <laughs> they actually know. <laughs> they they kind of know what's going on at a certain age. And so just as part of our normal education of our child around you know, gender choices, you know, you used to be born a boy or girl, but now you can choose, you know, and expression choices and, and who, you know, who you like to date, you know, used to be the opposite sex. Now you can choose. Um, And we talked about marriage, you know, you can choose if you want to marry, if you don't want to marry, if you want to date one person or multiple people. And as we were laying that out, we asked him, what do you think mommy and daddy are and do? And he very quickly identified our sex and who we were attracted to. And he said, and you date multiple people. Mm -hmm. So we didn't tell him, but he confirmed he knew. And that, you know, that was after several years. That wasn't anything we did at the beginning. So that's what it looked like for us. But it is different for everyone. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one, I so much agree with the whole kids always know, right? Like, it, we t- I think we talk about this a lot with parents that parents think that they're hiding things from their kids or, you know, they don't know what's going on. And sometimes kids don't have the language to say that they know what's going on, but they always seem to have a sense, more of a sense than parents think, right. not just about this topic, but in general of, of what you're doing in your life. Yeah. I, I, kids are so observant, <laughs> you know, like you said, not in just this area, like in every area. <laughs> if you think you're having a conversation that your kid doesn't know, <laughs> good luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, and it makes sense because it's like, well, they need us to survive. So I'm going to watch what that human is doing because I need them so that I live. Um, yeah. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. These people seem really important. Let's, let's keep an eye on what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to me how often as parents we we underestimate that and also i think underestimate the value of a variety of different situations i think so often we're kind of in the space of like i don't want to say anything cuz they can't handle it or it's too adult and and certainly there is a, you know it is also about being age appropriate and developmentally appropriate and having appropriate boundaries around things but also like recognizing that having some honest conversation. And I think, you know, I like, you know, that asking kids, well, what do you, what have you noticed? And what are you thinking? And what are your thoughts is really helpful for their development rather than this idea that we need to kind of, sometimes we're, I think we're protecting them. We say we're protecting them from things that really are mostly about our discomfort than it is about what they need most. Yeah. That's such a great segue into, like you said, deeper conversations with them. Like, do you have any questions about that? Do you have any concerns? Like, you know, just giving them that chance and they'll, they'll let you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sometimes they're like, no, I'm, are we good? Are we done? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can I, can I go play now? <laughs> yeah. like, did you get everything that you needed out of this conversation? Mom, I've been knowing that. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know we needed a meeting about this because we could have done it like you know six months ago. It's fine. Well, and I also think too, just to piggyback off of sort of, I think points both of you made that you know, I don't, 
I have sort of a, I can get on my soapbox and I'll try really hard not to, but it's <laughs> sort of feeling like, like the way we raise kids in modern American society is so flipping difficult. And I don't think that human children were best raised in like siloed separate houses away from larger families and communities because raising kids is so hard, you know? And so I think just going to that point of them being exposed to different people, them having different people who, you know, love them and care about them. You know, obviously if you bring, you know, a not so great person into their life, that's not helpful. But if you bring in other people who are caring and loving or play with them or offer a different perspective, like that's just a helping you as a parent in terms of like (laughs) the work of kids, but B also just opening their sort of understanding of, of people and, and how people work and that sort of thing, which isn't a bad thing at all. Absolutely. Which I think is also a nice way to sort of bring it full circle to the, the importance of being able to know ourselves. Like, I mean, to your point, Erica, about parenting is really hard. I mean, lots of things about life are really hard. And the more we understand who we are and the things that really help us to like feel centered in our, and present in our bodies and present in our lives and our relationships, like that helps us to be better people. And when we're better people, we're better parents. Right. Right. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like this is not a feeling. I know for sure that Eric and I could talk to you for, you know, like five more hours. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we just have a great girls afternoon here together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if I, as much as our listeners enjoy us, I don't know that they want a five hour episode. Probably not. <laughs> but we will, so I want to get you, so everything will be as, as it always is when we have guests in the show notes. So people are looking at how to contact you and all that kind of stuff. But if there's some specific things and like the best way for people to find you, if you want to share that with everybody now, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. My website is down to there, D-O-W-N-T-O-T-H-E-R-E.com. And on that page, I have all sorts of books about sex, not just exploring your own sexuality, but how to talk to kids about sex. And then I have a tab for my circles if you're interested in supportive community around talking about sex. And um, I also have my blog where I write all sorts of stories. So yeah, those are where you can go for that. Fantastic. Well, so great to talk to you today. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And definitely everybody, the blog is great. I'm always recommending the blog to people. So, I mean, all of this stuff is great, but you know, if you, if this was an interesting conversation, you definitely want to go and actually, and and read a lot of the stuff that Pam is writing and, and check out the circles. I think it's a really great opportunity for people to, to find some community around this. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pam. Have a great day. Bye. 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 So what'd you think of today's episode? If you're listening in the anchor.fm app, hit the button up at the top and leave us a message. You can also send us messages on Instagram or Twitter at EstherBMFT and at Ian Flats. You can send us your therapist problems, suggestions for read, listen, watch, or ideas for upcoming episodes. And with that being said, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, anchor.fm. Catch you in the next episode.